When aspects of a complex case exceed your personal expertise, you bring in a co-counsel to add the specific insight your firm needs for next-level results. Marketing in the legal industry requires complex strategy and insight far beyond anything you learned in law school. Want more for your law firm? Time to bring in a marketing co-counsel. Welcome to CounselCast. I'm your host, Karin Conroy, your marketing co-counsel. In every episode, I discuss marketing topics with experts who answer your questions and help your firm achieve more. Here's today's guest. Hi, I'm Laura Hartnett, founder of Law by Design. I run a consulting firm hired by law firms and legal departments to make lawyering better and deliver what clients actually want. I am so looking forward to this conversation, Laura. There's nothing that I love talking about more than the combination of building law firms and businesses with design. And so the conversation that we're going to have, we're going to start with is this idea of legal design thinking. And so I thought we would just keep the big question simple and have it be, what is legal design thinking? That gives us a lot to talk about. Before we get into that question, tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got into this and kind of what your path was into this very unique kind of angle when it comes to the legal industry. Would love to. I I so appreciate the question. I've had a little bit of a, a trifecta of experiences that really led into myself finding legal design thinking and understanding more of how this can be the solution and the way forward for lawyers who just want to have a successful career, but also enjoy it, to delight in it in the ways and the reasons that we went to law school in the first place. So I started out before law school. I was a business process consultant. So I did change management and project management, and I loved that world, but ultimately decided I want more. I want to go to law school. So after law school, I joined big law as a litigator, and I found myself, we had, you had two options to deliver legal services. Are you going to write a memo or are you going to write email? Sometimes you got to write a contract. I think I only saw like one PowerPoint when I was a lawyer, and it was just full of words. I mean, it was just like anything that like an MBA school would never tell you to do. And so we had a a very large client come to us and they said they wanted us to analyze this piece of litigation and give them red, yellow, green. And the lawyers, we about like ran circles like chickens with their heads cut off going, we don't know. We don't know how to do that. Like this was just beyond the level of comprehension. We're like, that doesn't fit into our memo or email. So we never learned that in law school. How how are we supposed to use colors? (laughs) So then flash forward. So then I became, then I went in-house in a Fortune 100 insurance company. And now I'm a client. And again, we're still practicing law. We're giving our clients memos and email. But we're working in this highly regulated industry, very complex, 50 different states, 50 different laws. And I thought, you know what I should do? I should red, yellow, green this. And so the first time I put this chart in front of my clients, they were like, we've never seen anything like this. You're a lawyer. And I I can't tell you how much it focused to the conversation. We could go right into the risks. We could go right into the mitigation strategies. And I became their go-to lawyer. And they wanted that. And then other lawyers are coming to me going, how did you do this? And that's when I started to really explore design thinking. So this is something that's come out of a lot of Silicon Valley, where it's how do we interact with a product or a service as a human? You know, does the mouse, does it fit the shape of our hand? Where are we going to look for the apps? 
But now it's really being translated into a lot of service industries, especially the legal realm. So the ultimate question that I ask in legal design services, how do we provide a service focusing on lawyers as humans and on our clients as humans so that we can delight them in ways that maybe they didn't even imagine? They didn't ask for the red, yellow, green, but they when once they got it, they went, this is exactly what I want. That makes so much sense. And I feel like that is a very, like you said, Silicon Valley, or even more specifically, an Apple approach where Apple doesn't ask what you want. Apple delivers at a different level and you don't even realize that was what you wanted all along. So I, I get that in terms of, and I'm playing devil's advocate because I love design thinking and I think where a lot of people get stuck is the translation between product and service. Because when you describe how the mouse fits into a hand or even when you're talking about, for me, when we're talking about the user experience on a website or things like that, that's easy for me to visualize and understand. But I feel like when people think about services, and I think the red, yellow, green example is, is perfect. But what other ways does that translate? What does that mean for a service? So I, and when I walk my clients through step one, you have to empathize. So you're going to go through this same process that Apple goes through, Netflix goes through, Amazon goes through in order to find maybe that new delivery system. But you just need to find it as a lawyer. So again, so going back to step one, empathizing with your clients, really asking the questions and getting to know them. I've seen so many lawyers are, oh, I've worked with that client for years. You know, well, have you checked in with them? Have you seen what has changed in the past 5, 10, 20 years? One of the most powerful questions I encourage lawyers to ask, too, is what was happening in your client's life before they called you? And also, what is going to happen after you finish that last interaction with them? Because if you can try to like truly map that client journey, including where you're not involved, you're going to provide a solution for them. You're going to give advice to them that's going to last even longer. And then this is where it's also marketing. They're going to come back if you know what they're doing before they pick up the phone and call you. So it all still starts with empathy. So does some of that include, as you're mapping that journey, thinking about projecting a, a few potential ideas for whatever that matter was that they came to you for, knowing that, okay, this is where they're going to be at the end and projecting in a year or five years from now, they might need the following five different ideas. And so I could approach them just in an open way, asking about one of those five ideas, or is that too obscure? No, that's absolutely it. And I think you can look to, I love that. It's not even what they do afterwards, but because you're an experienced attorney, people like this have problems like that. So let's try to solve for the, all the things that they can't even see yet and not to overwhelm them because we've seen that. We've seen that too. Lawyers can throw too much too soon. You really have to meet the client where they are. So you can really kind of preview, oh, and again, through the, that empathy, Oh, they're really scared. We, we, we don't like to talk about the emotions of our clients, but oh my gosh, so many lawyers deal with very emotional clients. Even if it's a business deal, it is a lot of personal meeting. So understanding they may not be ready for that one, five years, two, three, four, five years in the future, but exactly. And how can you deliver that in a way that they 
understand it. It meets their emotions. It meets them where they are, but sets that preview. And so it's really about getting creative. And that's what I believe lawyers are some of the most creative people and the people that don't think that they are creative at the same time, because they have to be. We have to be coming up with new arguments, new approaches. We have to see things in the case law. We have to get creative in our negotiations. And so when you can just turn that and apply that on yourself with your clients to get creative and go, okay, they're not ready for these four other contracts they're going to need. What's another way I can provide that for them early to get to also the marketing piece of that? And it's a little bit of the intersection between marketing, but also delivering skills at the same time that you get to delivering for your client these beautiful solutions in ways where they are so happy and they just want you and they're going to keep recommending you because of how you delivered that service. And it feels to me like there's an element of feeling very safe and understood. So not only does my lawyer understand the emotion of what I'm going through, but they're taking all of these things that I'm either coming to from a place of fear or anxiety or just not understanding and they're making it safe. And I know that down the road that I don't even know what I'm going to need, but that they've got my back. And so that I feel that makes me feel even more safe. And where when you feel safe, you're not going to go out and look for someone else. You're going to, of course, stay in that nice little safe, cozy little spot and feel like you've already found your person. And so you're happy. So what does that look like in terms of systems? So how does that translate? How does empathy translate into an actual systematic detail in, let's say, your client intake? Absolutely. And again, we always say it depends. The beauty of this is that it's not specific. Since we are translating it from the technology world and now bringing it into the service world, it can apply whether you are an IP lawyer, you're a trust in the states, you're a litigator. So when you go through the system to try to map what that client journey is, understand where their pain points are, then start to brainstorm different solutions. And that's the part that I know that you're talking about is what solutions can you bring to the table? They are going to be unique for every client. They are going to be different for every field. But the idea is to get out of your comfort zone where maybe it's just the maybe the email or the memo. So what I've seen and what I've helped attorneys do sometimes is really helping an understanding, again, where that destination is. Oh, you have to provide a quarterly update to your board. Send me the deck format and I can get a one-page summary of where our litigation is. That might be one thing that it's just, it's so, you might think it's so minor and maybe so easy for you. That makes all the difference because you just saved your client all that work, all that translating. You've now communicated your brand up to the board and then they're going to keep coming back to you. So it might be as simple as something like that. It might be a technology, a smart technology that you choose to implement. And the hard part is I see lawyers kind of dashing and grabbing these different technologies and they haven't thought in a desperate way oh my gosh they haven't thought of where it fits into their system whether they're going to use it so sometimes i've seen the solution might be maybe it's some sort of legal practice management software maybe that's the right solution maybe it's just you learn to call the client on their way home instead of sending them the email so it's so funny because it can be so revolutionary it can be so tiny. And it's that difference that just makes it. That is everything to the client. 
Absolutely. And I could see that where the client makes that mention that I really emails are overwhelming to me. But if you could give me a call, I've got this 35 minute commute. And if we can just talk for five or 10 minutes on that commute, then the weight of all of this is off of my shoulders. And I can live my life without just this crippling anxiety of whatever this issue is, and knowing that you've got it. And it just gives me all of that reassurance that you've got it covered. And I've hired you for the right reasons too. So it supports that decision in the hiring process. So what other ways systematically can you kind of bring this whole idea of the design thinking and the design process into just their whole firm? So you have to certainly talk as a group. And one of the things I mentioned is meeting your clients where they are. You have to take stock of where where you are with your practice. And especially when you're working with an entire firm and our entire department, really kind of accepting where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are and having that true conversation. Because again, it goes back to like, you just try to throw a technology on top of it. And it again, nobody adopts it. Nobody uses it. The thing fails. It was dead on arrival. So really taking that baseline start of where are we and what do we need? What do we need to do? From there, it is about, and as I said too, with the empathy with the clients and then taking I'm I, Again, I'm advocating for revolution, but in tiny little steps. So I think one of the parts that's really overlooked, too, is taking that tiny step, then stopping, getting feedback from the client, from your client, colleagues, from the paralegals, from the admins. How did that work? What went wrong? Could it have been better? And one of the things is, and I love the idea of celebrating your failures. This is the advice that that no one has really yet to totally embrace, but contact me if they're the first. Okay, good. Oh, I'm with you. Yeah, I I am 100% with you on this. Could you imagine at the next firm offsite, if you had three people stand up and say, I tried this with my client. I thought it was going to be great. It didn't work. Here's why. Here's what I learned from that. And here's what I'm going to do next. And don't you guys waste your time. I've already evaluated this. And so I can tell you right now, it's a waste of time. So we don't need to take the rest of you in that time. I, I totally live by this idea. And I actually think that the definition of marketing, this is a piece of it that people really overlook. And they don't want to focus on because they feel like it should be a little more scientific. But this idea of listening to the feedback. There's so many different complicated scientific marketing methods like A-B testing, but what they mean is trial and error. And so without the error part of the trial and error, you don't know. You are just throwing things up against the wall. You're not ever sure what is going to resonate. And so the idea of marketing without the marketplace feedback doesn't work. You have to throw it out there. You have to get that feedback and then you adjust and refine as needed. And so that is the piece that people don't want to do because that's the hard part. With any kind of marketing, especially, you know, the stuff that we see all the time is SEO, adjusting your content, adjusting your website, and over time that will also change. You'll have different kinds of response rates based on what's happening in the whole world, in every kind of piece of news and that topic or your clients in general. And you just have to continually adjust it. It's not just a set it and forget it thing. And so for leaving that piece of getting the feedback out 
is skipping out on one of the most important pieces of marketing. So I, I could not agree more with you on that part of it. And that's exactly design thinking. That's that's empathizing, that's exploring all the different options, and then it's experimenting. It's especially difficult for lawyers who, and I know you encountered this too, who are risk adverse, because we are. And I've heard all of the but it could be malpractice, but, it, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of disaster level the consequences and then you're going to be homeless and living under a bridge. No. And that's where it's start small, start safe, do one thing, get the feedback, celebrate, you know, promote your failure, promote your failures, share, and then go back to the empathy. And then you try again. That's really it. That is exactly what I teach lawyers to do so they can hopefully rinse and repeat in every aspect of their life, in every conversation with their client. They have that opportunity to listen to them and they go, oh, the client says, I've got this long commute. Well, can I call you during that? Would that be a great oh, time? Yeah, that like, sounds like an that, opportunity. <laughs> that, that's exactly it. You can go through the design thinking process in the span of a conversation, but you can also do it over the span of an entire project, life cycle, client journey, et cetera. Yeah, I really like that. And I want to highlight the idea of starting small once again, because I think you and I talk to lawyers and about the, all of this stuff all day long. And like you said, they are always trying to mitigate all of that risk. And so they are, with me, they are fine tuning and splitting hairs about every part of the proposal. And they want to know the future. They want to know the results and the projection of what potentially might happen six, eight, 12 months down the road. Well, my crystal ball is dusty today, so I'm afraid it's not working. And imagine in 2019, if I'm talking to clients about what might happen six, eight, 12 months down the road, I have no way of knowing that we're having this major global pandemic that's going to impact everyone's business and the way we search, the way we're online, the way we're consuming information, the way we're visiting websites, the way we're interacting with our attorneys and our law firms. There's no way to know is the short answer. There's no way to know what's going to happen in the news tomorrow or in the world or on your website or in your marketing plan. So you need to start small. And then, like you said, I love the idea of celebrating those successes, but also sharing those failures because they're not really failures. They're things that didn't go quite right, but there are all these great learning uh, opportunities where it's like, okay, this was not where our clients are. This is not what they want to hear from us. And so let's take that one off the table and save that money or save that time or effort or whatever that is that we were doing for that piece. I just, I think that's so valuable and it almost seems so clean and simple. That's why I'm coming back to these steps that it, it almost seems too straightforward, but I think there's so much there that people are really skipping in each one of those steps that are, are critical. Yes, you have to do all of yes. them and have the courage and that bravery to step out, which is especially hard for lawyers when we're given in law school. When I think about it, I went to the William & Mary College of Law and literally like Thomas Jefferson read law with George Mason, reading cases and having George Mason grill him about these cases. That's so cool. That was in the late 1700s. Yeah. I did the same thing graduating in 2010. It hasn't changed. Yeah. So when we think about, are we still practicing law the same way that was handed down from us Thomas from the Jefferson. people that made have started? <laughs> yeah. From the people who started practicing law just 50 years ago, we need to 
really think differently about that because the world has changed. Our clients are changing. They are getting more demanding, more business acute, and they really demand that from their lawyers. And our clients are going through this process as well. When you mentioned design thinking to especially any business client, they probably know what you're talking about and have done some form of it. So for you to be able to interact with them on that level just makes all the difference in it the world. It takes it all to the next level. That's so true. And I feel like that's such a good transition to talk, first of all, about you've got this great YouTube channel, Business Books for Lawyers. And you and I connect you know, on this because we both love business books and review that. Obviously, the next thing we're going to talk about is your recommendation. But I wanted to highlight that YouTube channel because I think there is... I don't think, I know there's this huge missing piece for a lot of law firms when they don't think of themselves in terms of a business and they don't have these resources. So their YouTube channel, Business Books for Lawyers, and then tell us what book you're going to recommend today. Sure. So my last video I just did, and again, I just try to do a quick summary with a couple of actionable steps. If you didn't read the book, here's what you need to know. But maybe information in case you do want to pick it up. And the one that I just love for lawyers, and I have it here, Think Again by Adam Grant, just published this year. And he's actually been speaking to a lot of legal groups this year as well. The whole book is about we have those tried and true beliefs that we carry on our back and we will carry them till doomsday. And we just keep trudging with them. And what he tries to explain is how much they are weighing us down and how much they actually have disastrous consequences for our businesses and for ourselves. So we need to get, and this is what all, all what I'm about, we need to put those down and we need to think again. We need to question our beliefs in safe ways, absolutely, so that you can go, is there a better way? What else is going on? What I love from something in here too is he talks about having a challenge network. So people who you trust, people who love you and support you, but they are there to but tell you the truth. That's exactly it. Yes. To challenge you oh, and I say, how else could you approach that? What else might you do? Is that really the case? And I think lawyers, we do that as lawyers. We want to play devil's advocate in terms of our arguments, in terms of our negotiation. But do we ever stop and do that about our practice and about ourselves? So Adam Grant, think again, love his podcast, love his books. Yeah, I think he just did a TED Talk too, didn't he? I think I saw him just do a TED Talk too. He's he's really like this up and coming thinker and he's got he always posts really great stuff. I I I love this idea of uh so does he talk a lot about bias and just how the bias just twists you into the wrong kinds of decisions? He has a whole chapter on bias and stereotyping. That is really good. Also about when I I just turned to his stereotype timeline. What he also does really nice in this book is is that he does these very simple graphics. And it's one of those things that I love that for lawyers, instead of communicating with all these words, how can we draw a very simple picture? And he does that really well. So I think you're learning things as you read the book that you didn't, you don't even recognize that you're that you're learning. I love that. I, I learn very visually as well. And so a chart, it's just one of those pictures that is a thousand words or 
even more so sometimes because all of a sudden now you're sorting the information differently in your brain and you can really think it through. But I, I do think that going into any kind of decision, especially when you're thinking about your firm in terms of a business and your marketing plan, you're approaching it oftentimes, my clients are approaching it with all kinds of bias based on what your competition is doing. I just saw my competition launch a whole new marketing campaign or a new website or whatever. So I'm just going to try to do that same thing because maybe I'm supposed to just keep up with them or I'm coming in with a lot of fear because I just worked with an agency and they burned me or, you know, whatever those biases are, biases, bias, bias, what is is the plural? (laughs) No matter how you're biased. No matter how you're biased, thank you. You are coming in with things that are just on your back and at least recognizing those and knowing that they are going to impact your decision and your clear thinking in making those decisions, but that the decisions still need to be made, that you can't just back away and let those the bias no, take no. over. And that's what that's what you're going to help them do. Really, you know, again, go back to who is your client? We're going to empathize with them. We're going to try to explore the different options. And then we're going to experiment and try things and exactly see how that works and do it again. That's what marketing is too. Yeah. But marketing is a whole exercise in design thinking too. I think it all comes full circle because it's all part of the same big system. So I think that's so valuable. Uh, well, Laura, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate this. This is I could talk about this all day long. I love this idea of organizing and having your thinking being more systematic so that you do avoid the kinds of things that Adam Grant is talking about and you don't kind of get pushed into that corner of making the wrong choices because you have a more systematic approach to thinking about it and thinking about it with your clients. So thanks again. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Have a great one. Thank you for listening to this episode on the CouncilCast podcast. I know that by implementing what you heard today, your law firm will achieve more. Be sure to visit the website at council-cast.com for the resources mentioned on this episode. If you enjoyed the episode, I would appreciate it if you could rate and review the podcast on Apple and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. See you on the next one.